I was a beautiful little baby. Uh, so beautiful enough that uh, my parents, uh, I think I coined the term Michelin baby or state puff marshmallow baby. Um, I don't think much has changed except for I'm a little bit older and I have a facial hair. But my grandmother and great-grandmother love all of their grandkids just as they would. And so they made me this beautiful little baby blanket. And when we see baby blankets and we have stuffed animals, we have this beautiful, yes, the fruit stripe horse. This thing went with me everywhere. Um, when I made my bed in college, and yes, I made my bed in college, um, it laid under the comforter. Um, but with this, this is tied to so many memories. Uh, it is a cape that went around my neck. It was a parachute when I jumped off of the sofa. It made plenty of forts, made scary things go away. It made thunderstorms not quite as loud, and it made nights of sleep really easy. For me as a kid, the memories that are tied in with this blanket are of that. But then it also brings me back to three, four, five-year-old little Ashton. Three, four, five-year-old little Ashton is the same Ashton that my grandparents, my aunts and uncles still view me as, and I'm 28 years old. Um, I'm taller than most of them. I weigh twice as much as most of them and uh, can eat their entire fridge, yet I'm still three, four, five years old in their eyes. Um, my aunt used to dress me up as her own little baby alive. She would take me to the store called Mansoor's, and she'd put me in this cute little outfit, and we'd go around town, and she would show me off. And these are the memories that she has for me. When you as parents and loved ones see this baby blanket, you don't always see the cape and the parachute. You see the, the growing up of a child. And so that's your job and your responsibility to help them out in growing up. It's not all about the, the fun stories or the scary nights, but you have a responsibility to present the gospel to your kids. And so with that today, that's where I'm starting with our message, is that we dream for those memories. We want those moments where we can laugh and we can cry, the temper tantrums, the busted up knees, whatever it takes. Those are the memories we want to hold on to. But we also want to instill the gospel at the same time. So as parents, families, friends, loved ones, we're looking to impart our stories. We're looking to raise them upright, to teach them skills, and to watch them grow. With every game of catch and bedtime story, with every sunset, we're constantly impacting the lives of kids. So naturally, as parents and as loved ones, as followers of Christ, as believers, we see it's essential to start sharing God's word as early as possible. Would you agree? Okay. So for that, I say thank you to all the parents, to all the aunts, to all the uncles, to all of you that brought your kids to church when they were small. We have our nursery, and when, when kids go into the nursery and we see them smiling, it's so great. I go, they're playing and they're laughing, but they see church as a safe place. So now, uh, for all you parents, if uh, you start to cry, grab your tissues, because I'm about to age your kids from birth to 18 years old in about 20 seconds. 
So kids grow up and they're in the church and they're in the nursery and they grow from the nursery to our, our preschool and our toddler's age class and they're in their Sunday morning Bible studies, they're in the Sunday school and they keep growing up and then uh, they get to come hang out and here with you for worship. And they get to leave worship and they go over and they hang out with the children's minister who I heard is fantastic and they get to have a message over there and maybe there's goldfish involved and there's games but whatever it is the gospel's presented and they grow up from there and then they're in here for worship they're going to kids camp they're they have their vbs they take off to middle school they have weekend retreats they have disciple now weekends they're growing they're learning more and more and more and uh, about on average they spend about 150 hours a year at church it's pretty impressive we love when our little ones go to church. It's adorable. My favorite thing is when we have the big old bows or the, the loafers that match. When mommy and daughter have the same dress or when dad parts the son's hair the exact same way and you look at them and it's a spitting image. But when there's 8,760 hours in a year and we only put 150 of it on Sunday mornings, now not you as a church as Lindale, but as a church and as the whole, they're content with that. When we have all of those opportunities, those VBSs, those summer camps, those Sunday morning opportunities, we see a growing trend where the standard is that Sunday morning is the only time the gospel reaches. And that's a little disheartening because at 150 hours, you're putting all the responsibility of presenting the gospel on folks like me or a Sunday school teacher, those that help out and volunteer, or maybe a camp counselor. But if you're doing the same thing and putting 150 hours on something like us, then realistically you're also probably putting 150 hours on your pastor to be your only spiritual guidance for the year. And when we start putting that into perspective, when there's over 8,000 hours that we're giving it a marginal fraction of what it looks like, we have to step back. We have to look at it and we have to see. And maybe you look at this as you're scared. Maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to leave it up to the experts. I've got electrical work at my house, and uh, after the first time I electrocuted myself, I said, it's fine, it's a little buzz. Second time, all right, maybe i got to call a professional. Third time, I'm going to keep doing it. If i got a leak, I'm going to try and fix it myself. Because we naturally want to just go out and fix it. But when it comes time to our faith, society says, let's leave it up to the experts. So with every sermon and talking with Eric, he sits down and he does his time of research. So I sat down and I did my own research. I called a couple of different children's ministers, called a couple of different ministry groups, different families that just love on their kids and how they pour into them so much. And I said, help me out. When reaching out to them and asking other children's ministry experts, this is what we could establish. You don't feel like an expert in the matters of faith. The thought of spirituality and leading your kids is daunting, especially when you feel like you're barely hanging on to your own spiritual life on a day-to-day basis. You want your kids to adopt your faith, and it would crush you if your child grew up and walked away from Christ. But the truth is, is you're placing all of your hope in these experts. These experts that are at church that are to pass down the faith and friends, that is a very scary hope. 
when you're relying on just such a small fraction of their life to change the most important part of who they are. So I have this feeling that we will end up regretting placing all of our eggs into this child's spiritual life in that basket if the child grows up and walks away from faith. There isn't a magical formula that will lead our kids into saving faith. But there is wisdom. And we, we seek that wisdom through scripture. So if you have your Bibles, if you got there, we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Looking uh, to start with at verse 4. It says this right here. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your, ch- to your children. It starts off by telling us exactly how to love, how much we should love, and then instantly gives us the command to repeat this to our children. As we continue to look through this verse, and we go into 7 all the way through verse 9, it says this right here. Repeat it to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. We've got t-shirts. We've got signs. I imagine in about 50% of every good southern household, there's some type of cursive calligraphy scripture written that's hanging like by the kitchen sink. We see that, and a lot of times it just blends in. It's really easy for us to, to say that we're presenting the gospel and we're presenting God's word to our families and to our kids, but it kind of gets camouflaged. It falls into to what we would consider a routine instead of a rhythm. And so we look at this and we're told that we're to repeat this to our kids. Yesterday, we had the, the, the honor and the privilege. We, we got to launch a, our Mighty Mites back up again. We have our three to five-year-olds out there playing basketball and they are absolute athletes. I mean, I, I'm being serious. We've got kids that can drain a basketball shot from 15 feet away from the basket, and they've never once picked up a basketball. Like, they're just naturally talented. Kids can be born with this natural ability. But the one thing that we have to do is we have to continue to tell our kids about the gospel. When they come out of the womb, they don't know of that love. They're born into a world of sin, and that it's our job to teach them that, to love them, to show them. So that wisdom that I was saying brings me to my first point. That the wisdom of God is diligence. And with that, I I see the word diligence, and I'm I'm reminded of when I first heard that word, and it was in third grade. And uh, like I said, I was going to give you some background of baby Ashton here. And so we got baby blanket time. Well, now you get a little look into third grade. The word diligent and diligence was a character trait they talked about in the morning announcements. And I remember our third grade hallway, they painted this beautiful picture. There's trees and roads and stuff, and there's this, this street sign. 
And on it, it said Diligence Avenue. And for about half of my third grade year, I thought it said Dilly Bar Avenue, and you knew where my priorities were. And so with that, we're, we're taught about what diligence is, and that's creating a habit and continuing to work and work and work. But in the aspects of what it looks like in us and loving and serving, presenting the gospel to our kids, diligence is creating a habit of daily sharing our faith with our kids. Now, it won't ensure that our kids will come to faith in Christ. That's not the guarantee. But what it does do is it creates an environment that encourages them to think about Christ, to think about the Word, and to think about faith constantly. It creates an environment that tells kids that we take our love for Christ seriously. It's more than just praying before dinner. It's more than just saying, God is great, God is good, let us thank you for this food, amen. It's how we live out our lives. We're communicating to them that Jesus isn't just a Sunday thing. Jesus isn't just a weekly ritual that can be dropped easily. There are so many benefits to being diligent in this way, I couldn't possibly list them all. But we intuitively know this already, that the things about wisdom, does it make sense? Wisdom exposes the way we are foolish and helps us get on a more secure path. Wisdom's the thing that tells us that when we get electrocuted, we don't touch it back. Or when the stove is hot, we don't continue to touch it. Or when something hurts us, we're not going to continue to do that. But wisdom's also the part that tells us when it's something that's good and it's beneficial and it helps us out, we continue to grow. We don't continue to put junk into our bodies with the hopes of magically getting better. Wisdom exposes the ways that we are foolish and helps us get to a more secure path. It's wisdom for us to be diligent in sharing our faith with our kids. It's wisdom for us to create a daily habit and rhythms within our homes that encourages us to talk about Jesus, to pray, and to worship. The problem is, is that we're asking our pastors to do what they cannot do. As much as I love your kids and I would want to be able to spend as many possible minutes with them, um, I, I can't make every family dinner. I can't tuck every kid into bed. I can't be there at every ball game. But you've been given this honor and this privilege as parents, as loved ones, as family, to be in that role. So again, when we put that 150 hours just on a few individuals, they miss out on all these other opportunities. So it's up to us to be diligent in the world, to be in prayer and to have a relationship with Christ throughout our entire week and worship God daily with the people in our homes. The jobs of, of our pastors, of, of Eric, of Alan, of Dan, of myself, is we're to come alongside you and to shepherd. We're to help guide and lead. And yeah, sure, give us Sunday mornings. But you got Sunday afternoon all the way through Saturday night. That's your time. That's an opportunity that you have. So the idea that we need to be experts to lead our family spiritually is not wisdom, but it's a cultural influence. It's a man-made idea. It's rooted. If we look at even just American culture, we go back to the Industrial Revolution, we, we get to a point where uh, parents stopped 
really investing into their kids in an educational viewpoint. And they said, you know what, let's leave it up to the teachers. They're the experts in that field. They're the ones who have it. And so somehow along the way, we've let that translate into sharing a faith. God has entrusted us. They've entrusted you with these kids for the sake of being diligent and sharing his love for them. With his help, you can do that. He's very interested in helping you out. In one way, he is helping you by giving you the pastors, giving you the ministers, giving you the Sunday school teachers along the way in a community that is this church. You're not alone. There are resources that help lead your family spiritually. So let's embrace the wisdom of God and be diligent in our homes, and we will never regret it. Even if things go south for our kids, we'll be thankful that we did. But I fear that we will regret the foolish hope that our kids will pick up our faith if we only see the gospel, if we only see it at church on Sundays, if we only make it a part-time job instead of making it our life. So church, this is where it gets good. So far, it really, it seems as if I've been calling all of you out. And that's not what it is. I'm not calling out the church, but instead I'm calling on the church. We have a responsibility as, as loved ones for our kids. But instead, we kind of, you know, parents can parent. Parents need our help. That's why there's grandparents. That's why there's aunts and uncles. That's why we have this community. That's why we have this family. One of the things I love so much about our church specifically is how much we feel like a family. So uh, as some of you came in this morning, I caught you, um, and I gave you a penny. If you have the penny, go ahead, pull it out. I want you to take a look at it. If you don't have a penny, there's plenty in the back. You can get one on the way. But I want you just to, to picture a penny. If you are at home, I want you to, to think about a penny. Pretty simple. They're round, metallic. They got an old man's face on the front. All right. We know what a penny looks like. The penny that you're holding, that you're thinking of, it has a value of $0.01. Fun fact for it is that it cost about $0.01988 to make a single penny. So guess what? You are now holding something that's literally worth negative money. And uh, congrats, we spend it each and every single day. We treat it so uselessly that when we're vacuuming out our cars, they just suck a penny right up. They get lost forever in the deep abyss of our sofas. We find them kind of scratched up on the Kroger parking lot. Maybe they're like underneath the aisle at Walmart. They're all over the place. They're left, they're abandoned, and countless times we'll go to a restaurant, we'll go somewhere, and the cashier will say, here's your change, and it's like three cents. We're like, you know what? Keep it. It's not a big deal, and we just drive off. You know, just a few pennies. You know, just a few pennies. This jar right here has 936 pennies in it. It's a pretty good amount. Pretty heavy. I could probably do this. Get a nice little arm workout. 936 pennies can get you about two average, like nothing super fancy, grande coffees at Starbucks. You can get a, a large double quarter pounder meal at McDonald's. 936 pennies can't even buy you a, an evening movie ticket. 
in retrospect, it's not even 10 bucks. Can't really do you much. Cool, you paid for like a third of my dinner. Thanks, pennies. But at the end of the day, the penny that you're holding in your hand, the one that that's, has such little value, is practically useless. It's worthless. That's why we throw them away. So we're going to change the script. We're going we're gonna to take this penny and we're going to make it a new value. No, I'm not printing money. This isn't a, a get-rich-quick scheme. Your penny that you're now holding, oh, because there's 936 pennies in here, because there's 936 weeks from when a child is born to when they turn 18 years old. If you look at what you're holding in your hands, it's the equivalence of one week of a child's life. So let's give it the penny treatment. We're stressed out. We've had a long week. Our child comes up and says, are we going to church this Sunday? No, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. You know what? Skip it. All things considered, we still have 935 pennies. We're doing pretty good. Parents, you haven't let them down yet. Here comes the toddler's phase. We got the terrible twos and even the terrible or threes or whatever they call it. And we just, we want to write it off. And we want it to be gone. All right, so let's go ahead and take a 100 plus pennies out and spend it. Let's just get rid of it. Then come the angsty middle school years where they don't put on their deodorant. And they look at you and they go, I don't have an attitude, as they say it with an attitude. And we start taking those out and we just want that time to pass. And little by little, our 936 dwindles down to somewhere between 200, 300 weeks. That means we're at about six years. We've had six effective, intentional years where we've poured into our kids. It's a third of their life. So that means that uh, 33%, and I'm not a math major, but that's failing. So when we give things the penny treatment, we look at it, and we start looking at this that's more than just a penny, that it's a week that's there, it takes us to another piece of scripture. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at the New Testament. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Now, Timothy being uh, one of Paul's students, this is something that he has written here in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. And it says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. For know those who taught, those who taught you. And you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom, there's that word again, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I want you to look. There's a, a word in there outside of just the word wisdom. It says profitable for teaching. And we can also say it's profitable for rebuking and profitable for correcting. These are those moments. These are those, those weeks that we have, that investment we get to make. You make a larger profit, you, can, you earn more by investing in something rather than just going and spending and throwing away the money. Now, yes, you can have the, the rare instance where you, you spend your money and you, you get a big return, but 
we know that typically speaking, our investment brings us a bigger profit. So that's our second key point, is that investment brings a bigger return. So with that, with, with Timothy, he asks us, we're, we're looking at the things in our lives, and we start thinking, what are the notable things that shaped us into who we are today? What are the notable credentials that qualify us to do whatever we are? Maybe you went to school to be a banker, you went to school to be an engineer, all those things, you start to, you, you call out your education and your schooling, but the little background on Timothy here is he was a ministry assistant to Paul, a church leader, a missionary, but he wasn't notably shaped by school in his country. He was notably shaped by, from infancy, his mother and his grandmother. The people in Timothy's home faithfully taught him the word throughout his life. So church, remember where I said I was not calling out the church, but I was calling on you? Here's your chance. Today, our families get to take the, the opportunity to come up here during our 11 o'clock service. They get to present their youngest, the smallest, the tiniest of our Lindale family. They get to make a dedication. They get to make a promise that they're going to continue to raise their child with a Christ-first focus. Through this journey, it's not going to be easy. It's going to present challenges. Now, I can't speak on behalf of parents because I'm not one, but what I can speak is I was a very tough kid to raise. I know that challenges will be presented. So you have folks, you've got folks like Eric, Alan, myself, Dan, that are here to, to love on you on Sunday mornings. You've got your Sunday school teachers. You've got your deacons. We have built almost a perfect formula to love one another, to be a family, to come alongside, to shepherd. So I'm calling on each and every single one of you. That penny that you have, the penny that you're looking at, when you pick up a penny and next time you go through and you get your change, don't look at it and say, oh, I got a couple pennies. Let's throw it in the change compartment. Pick it up, and when you do, think of a kid. Think of the week that it represents in their life. How can you invest that week? Don't be the reason that a penny is spent and gone forever. This jar is pretty full. I give the parents a challenge to continue to fill this. They've got those 936 weeks. But then it's our job, it's our responsibility to come alongside and continue to fill it up. There's nothing saying that the gospel can only be heard once. They can hear it twice in a week, three times in a week. You have a responsibility and you are commanded to share the love of God with others. Scrolling through Facebook, Toby Mac puts up these uh, little pictures. They're really pretty and they've got words on it. And he had one up that went up about maybe two and a half weeks ago. It says, the best children's ministry program is kids watching you follow Jesus. It's that easy. They look up to you. They copy you. I was joking with Dan that I wanted to play a country song that talked about a little boy who just did everything that his dad did. And I thought, no, because then he'd make me sing it. And that wasn't going to happen. But it's true. Kids literally watch us. They copy us. They imitate us. 
So give them something to imitate instead of it being an imitation that is a ball player, an imitation of someone who gets easily angered. Give it an imitation of someone who wants to follow Christ. So take the time this week. Call a family. It doesn't even have to be someone who has a kid under 18. Call anybody. Invest your penny literally in anyone. Share your testimony. Read your Bible with someone. We've got tons of kids that don't know how to read. It's not because they're unable. They're just too young. But the Bible is written for them too. Don't let your penny go to waste. So parents, church, family, I have a few questions that I want to ask each of you to, to think about as you go from this place today and you travel out and you're going through and you're sitting there on a Tuesday afternoon and you don't know what to do and the radio's not fun. Just ask yourself these three questions. <clears throat> How did I invest this week in a manner that will impact my child's future. Question two, how did we intentionally slow this week down? There's so many times we, we hear parents, we hear ourselves saying, it's such a busy week, I don't know if we're gonna make it, we're always on the go, we're on the go, we're on the go. Find a way to slow it down. If that means literally driving slower, if that means having everyone sit at the dinner table an extra 10 minutes, if that means turning off the TV and calling somebody, slow the week down. Question three is, how did I show my child Jesus this week? You can counter that with saying, how did I show my coworker? How did I show my neighbor? It's your opportunity to invest that penny. It's your chance and you're commanded to build relationships with others. And it brings me to my last point, point number three. Introductions of the gospel require relationships and not expertise. You don't have to have the title of pastor, of minister. You don't have to work at a church to present the gospel to someone else. You just have to be relational. So if you're here today, and you already have that relationship with the Lord, amen and hallelujah for that. But if you're here with us and you have questions still, you're trying to work through, you just want to talk, or maybe you're ready to make a decision, we're here for you. We're here for you to, to call, to answer questions, to love on you, to pray with you. It's not just myself, it's not just Eric, it's our church family. You have a penny, you have the opportunity, you have a week to invest.